This podcast is for you if you want to learn about the wonderful and wacky world of the English language and the people who speak it. If you want to learn English, speak English, and understand different speakers of English, then you're in the right place and you're going to love our podcast episode today. Welcome to English World with Chris Americos. We are a team of language lovers, expert teachers, and native speakers who are on a mission to help people around the world speak English and show the world their true value. We correct mistakes, practice pronunciation, and explore grammar rules while drinking coffee and having fun. So get comfortable, relax, grab a pen and paper, and welcome to the show. Today's episode is brought to you by English Every Day, an unlimited speaking practice program where you can join live speaking practice lessons with professional native teachers five times every day. There are a lot of courses on the internet and a lot of useful videos too, but the one thing that is missing for most English learners is practice. And if you need speaking practice, then English Every Day is for you. So click the link in the description or go to chrisamericoast.com to learn more today. Today, we're here with Maria from English to Excel. And uh, Maria, tell us a little bit about, you know, how you got started in this English space. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Good question. So I actually started my career, my whole career I've spent in marketing, corporate communications, a little bit of journalism um, and news writing at the beginning. So throughout my whole working life, you could say this theme of communicating um, has, has been present. So communicating the right message, crafting the right message, using the right words, that's always kind of kind of been my thing. Um, but I've always worked for, for mostly tech companies and my work has taken me pretty much around the world. Um, I've lived and worked in six countries now, in Munich, Germany, Amsterdam, the Netherlands, London, New York, Geneva, Switzerland. Now I'm in the Bahamas uh, right now. But the cool part about that experience abroad is that I really got to dive deep into what I love most, which is languages and, and language learning. So I, uh, I learned German when I was in Munich, uh, Dutch when I was in Amsterdam, um, French when I was in Geneva. And while I was over in Europe, I met my husband who's from Spain. So right now I'm, I'm learning Spanish. Um, but not only did I get to learn those languages, but I really got to kind of develop um, or, you know, experience what it was like to have to live, to have to work and to have to survive in a language that wasn't my own. So awesome. kind of coming back today and kind of the, the English teaching piece right now, I'm helping others do the same in English. So I founded English to Excel. Um, so I'm really all about helping people speak better English for better opportunities, mostly in a professional context. So helping them speak better business English to then, you know, get their dream job, get promoted, have better travel experiences, you know, advance their careers internationally, um, really just help them to use English as a, as a tool, as a vehicle, kind of as an enabler to um, achieve what they want in their lives. Absolutely. I'm so interested to hear about your perspective now learning Spanish. I'm, I'm learning Spanish too. And having that experience of having studied German and Dutch and French already, uh, mm -hmm. how does that contribute to your approach and, and your, you know, how you learn Spanish now? Oh, you know, that is such an interesting point. I'd like to see if there's any research about this. I don't know the answer, but what I'd like to learn a little bit more about is if once you learn one language, 
if it's easier to learn a second, a third, a fourth. For me, I've had the experience that I feel like it is. Um, it's almost kind of like, you know, your brain knows what to do. You kind of know what to look for. Like, you know, the drill kind yeah. of, but, um, you know, I've taken, so I feel my Spanish, I've been able to learn it quicker. Um, and I still have a long way to go, you know, I'm, I'm not fluent yet, but, um, you know, I've been able to learn it quicker than maybe I was the first, the second, the third language. So what, do you have a take on that? Do you have experience yeah. there? I, th I think it's definitely easier. Uh, one, I think one of, like you said, you've already got some like language learning routine that kind of worked for you before and you saw success there. So, you know, the steps to follow, but I think also part of that is like the language of learning languages. So like an English speaker who is learning a foreign language for the first time might not really understand what a gerund or infinitive is or other things that are kind of simple in language learning and uh, they might not know what it is. And it's not just English speakers, right? It's anyone approaching learning a, a foreign language for the first time. You have to kind of activate those concepts in your mind. You might've learned them in school, but probably forgot them because you're not really applying them to real life, but in foreign language learning, they apply. And so then when you approach learning the third, fourth language, you already understand like, okay, there's probably nouns, there's probably mm -hmm. infinitives. There's probably this and that. And so, um, and then you also have uh, a whole other, you know, database of knowledge, like set of knowledge, uh, which is the second language that you can compare the third language to, especially if they're in the same language group, right? Like, so for you, the carryover from German to Dutch was probably huge. Totally. Totally. Yeah. And that's a really great point you bring up too. I think if, you know, some of the languages are similar, it's obviously going to be easier, but if it's, you know, something, I don't know, comparing English and Japanese, for example, you know, maybe you have a, a, a wider gap there, but yeah, it was, it was a breeze. I want to say going from I, German was my first language. Then I learned Dutch, then French and then Spanish. So I had German and Dutch, which are a little more similar Then I had the advantage of going to French to Spanish, which yeah. is a little more similar. And, and yeah, and I think, and I think you said it too. I mean, you just, you also kind of know what works for you, um, you know, cause there are so many different approaches to language learning and what works for one person may not work for another. So yeah, you kind of get your rhythm down your routine, you know, what things you want to focus on, or I should say maybe the right ways to go about learning and the tactics that you use. So, yeah. Absolutely. And then we both have the advantage of being an English native speaker, an English first language speaker. Um, and it's not, of course, there's all the benefits of English being the lingua franca and, and, and all of that. But um, on top of that, English being an Indo-European language. So mm -hmm. like, if you, instead of German, Dutch, French, Spanish, if you were studying Arabic or like you said, Japanese or Vietnamese or uh, some, some of these other languages, then that Greek and Latin element of like the higher level education and uh, they, there's not as much carryover. So, so, you know, there's less things that are, that are the same. Mm -hmm. um, so I, th I think that's, like you said, languages that are similar are, are so much easier to learn and 
So uh, for us, learning those languages is going to be easier than than the others, right? Right. Totally. Absolutely. And it's interesting too. I feel it's kind of a, maybe a double-edged sword because as you just said, I mean, yeah, in one way, you know, we have an advantage, you know, with English being our first language, but I found too, um, when I was living in, in, in these different countries and trying to learn the local language there of each one of them, because I was a native English speaker that on the practical side, you know, when I would really try to practice the new language that I was learning that I had a really hard time because so many people, you know, English, you know, as we know, is the global language. So many people speak it, they speak it well, or they really want to practice and, and improve it. So I think being a native English speaker, sometimes you have a little steeper of a hill to climb, so to speak, when you want to practice a new language, because everybody wants to practice English and they see you like, oh, okay, she's she's a native English speaker from the US, now's my chance. And who can blame them, you know, Absolutely. but that always added an extra layer of complexity, you know, to my learning process. I can absolutely attest to that. I've uh, I've experienced that too. Um, but now, like now that you brought it up, I'm kind of like trying to play devil's advocate in my in my mind and trying to say like, well, because maybe some of those conversations that we get into because we're English speakers allow us that social lubricant to move it forward and to advance the relationship to get to the point where we can practice the language. Whereas if I were a native Swahili speaker in Ukraine, I might not, I don't have English and they would probably go to English immediately if, if you're not speaking the local language. And so they there might not be a basis to continue the communication, right? Totally. It's really multifaceted, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. But, but I have the same experience as you that, uh, you know, when I lived in Russia or when I went to Argentina or, or Serbia or some other places that the default was, you know, the greeting or the first sentence is in the local language. And then it's clear that you don't speak enough and it's like, oh, OK, well, let's talk in English then. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I know the feeling. I know the feeling well. <laughs> so how does that feel like emotionally when you go somewhere and someone kind of shuts you down when you're trying to engage in that language? You know, It happens to me now. I go to a restaurant where everyone's speaking Spanish and sure, I'm in the United States still, but everyone's speaking Spanish I'm, and I try to join in and then it's immediately like, Let's go to English so that so that it's clear Be because my level of Spanish is just not there. So on the practical level, like I understand, like we have to do that at some point. Uh, but um, but it still kind of feels like, ah, I'm trying so hard and 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 didn't get what I wanted. Right. Uh, how, what do you think about that? I am so familiar with this feeling. Oh my gosh. For me, it was like the ultimate like feeling of deflation. Like, oh man, you know, I'm trying so hard, you know, to learn the language and um, I just want to use it and I just want to get better. But then if you kind of feel like you're like shot down, you know, like I would be, um, I'm just thinking back, you know, my, when I was working, living and working in Amsterdam, um, I would, you know, I was learning Dutch and okay, you know, I was getting pretty conversational and feeling pretty good about it. And my coworkers would come in, um, in the morning and they'd say, you know, to everybody, to all the, the native Dutch speakers, the people from the Netherlands, they'd say, you know, which is good morning. 
goeiemorgen, goeiemorgen. And then to me, good morning, Maria. And it kind of makes you feel a little, you know, like you're, makes you feel different, makes you feel like you're not really included. You're not part of the group and they do it to be polite. You know, their, their intention is, is, you know, just to be polite and okay, I'm going to greet Maria in her native language um, as a way of including her. But, you know, when you're trying to learn, it can kind of feel, feel like the opposite. Um, and it, uh, it's a feeling of kind of deflation too, you know, like, and as you said, there is a practical element to it, you know, like if you're, if your language skills at that time aren't really up to, up to speed or, you know, where they need to be to the point where you can't really have an efficient conversation with someone, you know, or, you know, both people don't really feel comfortable because somebody clearly, you know, can't communicate as smoothly, then, okay, you know, we kind of have to put our egos aside and, you know, all right, you know, we'll switch to English, but otherwise it can, it can be a hard pill to swallow. <laughs> Definitely. Um, and, and I hear learners, students tell me similar things, but in the States, I, I find sometimes people move to the States, they go to a shop, they ask for something, the person understands them, but then the person says, where are you from? Or they say, oh, I like your accent. And they, they make a comment like this. And I understand, like I'm, I'm American and, and I always grew up like hearing people do that if they heard an accent. And it wasn't necessarily a foreign accent, just in Florida, if they hear someone from New York, they're gonna be like, oh, I like your accent. But a lot of students, take that as like an insult. Oh, oh, they're saying I have an accent. Oh, oh, they're asking where I'm from because because I'm not local because I, because I, you know, I, I don't fit in or something. And, but from the American person's point of view, I understand that they are, they're interested. Like it's an interesting person and they're trying to just make conversation with them. Um, so yeah, for students, sometimes there are those situations where uh, they've, I mean, they've voiced this to me a million times, um, that situation of going somewhere, asking for something in a person asking, where are you from? I guess when I was abroad too, if people asked where I was from, it, it did show that like, okay, they noticed something, right? Um, I'm sure people have said something similar to you about their experience of, of uh, communicating with English speakers. Yes. You know, when you were, when you were talking, I immediately thought um, back to one of my college German classes. I was a German minor um, mm -hmm. during undergrad and my professor, the best professor I have ever had, she was from Vienna. So she was from Austria, native German speaker. And she had lived in, I was in uh, Cincinnati going to school, my hometown. And um, she had been in Cincinnati for decades. I mean, decades. And she said something, basically what you just said, she said, you know, people would approach her and say, oh, you have such a neat accent. And um, they meant it as a compliment, but she really didn't like hearing that. And I'll never forget that. And she said, you know, it just, it makes you feel like you don't belong. And, um, you know, despite the, you know, their intentions being good, but I kind of, I remember that and kind of stored that in my brain and I'm kind of a little more conscious now, you know, going forward when I, you know, may want to tell somebody the same thing, but I kind of stay away from that because of that sensitivity, but. Yeah, it's an interesting, interesting dynamic there. So you live in the Bahamas now. Yes, uh -huh. now I do. And what are some of the characteristics of Islander English or Caribbean English? Good question. Oh, the melody 
is beautiful. The melody is so beautiful. I wish I could imitate it. I cannot. Um, so I will not do it justice. (laughs) (laughs) I'll stay away from that, but, um, oh, they have a beautiful melody of how they speak. And I've tried to pay attention. I've been here for just a little over a year now, and I don't notice a whole lot of um, different vocabulary, um, in the English here versus, you know, English in the U S for example, The only things I think I've really noticed is a lot of people here, instead of saying hello, they say good day, which in the US, we don't, we don't really say that. Um, And then kind of, kind of funny, makes me kind of smile every time I hear it. Instead of people, they say persons, Uh which to my American ear, that kind of sounds like, like legal, very legal, you know, you know, you walk into a restaurant and, you know, okay, two persons. I'm like, oh, wow. That's very, very formal. It seems, you know, to me, but um, otherwise I think vocabulary wise, those are really kind of the only two different words that I've, I've really noticed. Uh Uh-huh. One of my best friends here in Florida, he's from the U S Virgin islands and so it's really cool to chat with him and hear his take on American culture and American life, because even though they're so influenced by the United States throughout the Caribbean, uh, you know, he still feels like he, he's not really one of the group or something like this. He feels like, sure, it's not so different. Everything's easy. Life's fine. But uh and like no problems with communication but like when when he speaks you understand that he's from the islands you you understand that he's from the caribbean and uh and so it's really sometimes he'll come up with these cool insights because he considers himself an outsider you know mm-hmm. um but most people who meet him probably wouldn't think anything of it you know just another Islander person in in the United States. There's a lot of them, right? So I was just interested to hear what you thought about it because um, I've I've honestly never been to uh, no I've been to the Cayman Islands, mm-hmm. um, but not but to the Bahamas or anywhere I've else. The Bahamas, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, if you ever get here someday, I mean, I really I love the um, yeah. I guess the the melody, like I said, that they that they speak in or kind of the intonation. Maybe another thing I've noticed too is a lot of times in the U.S., um, if we're making a statement, so we're not asking if we're not asking a yes or no question, but we're just making a statement. You know, we kind of drop our pitch at the end of the sentence. The last word that we say usually kind of has that falling intonation. Yeah. I think here they may do a bit of like a rising intonation. So just kind of kind of little things like that. But I do find myself sometimes, you know, especially when I first moved here, if I would go into a store or like, you know, a restaurant or something, you know, whatever the case was, I would kind of like find myself like asking them, you know, question after question, just so I could, you know, listen, so that, <laughs> listen to how they talk. Cause I really like it, but. That's so cool. Uh, English is just so diverse everywhere you go. There's some nuance and some, some difference. It's really cool. So like you've been traveling to the living in these different places, working in these different countries and learning different languages and have there ever been any situations where you like just mixed up the languages, you know, like you're, maybe you're trying to speak French, you're learning French, speaking French, and then Dutch just flies out or German flies out or that's happened to me a lot of times. 
Chris, story of my life. I mean, this happens to me all the time, still today. And um, I realize now um, why that's happening, because I've made some big mistakes in my language learning, apparently. Um, so I'll just give you an example. I was you know, living and working in Amsterdam, as I said, and then I moved to Geneva, Switzerland, where French is the, uh, the language there in the city. So I moved from Dutch speaking country to French speaking city. And I was like, okay, you know, I was really excited to learn French. I was like, I'm going to go, you know, full in full speed ahead with my French. So, okay, I guess that means I need to just totally get rid of Dutch entirely. I'm just going to block it out of my mind, you know, just never speak Dutch again. I mean, I'm being dramatic here, but yeah. um, I, told, I told all my coworkers in Amsterdam, I said, all right, guys, you know, I'm really trying to focus on French. I'm kind of already getting the Dutch and the French confused. So let's, let's not speak Dutch anymore. Let's only speak English. And then I can, you know, focus on my French. So that was kind of the plan. They were like, all right, great. So that, that was meant really good progress for my French, you know, my French was progressing pretty quickly, but then when there were times where I'd have to travel back to the office in Amsterdam, or if I was in a situation where I had to speak Dutch again, I couldn't do it. I would try to speak Dutch and French would just automatically come out. Um, yeah, I had this weird experience one time I was in, in a bakery in Amsterdam and I was trying to order something and the person just looked at me like, kind of like strangely, and I wasn't even conscious of it, but I was speaking French, trying to speak Dutch, not even realizing that these French words were coming out. Yeah. So, um, and I, I realize now the big mistake that I made and just kind of blocking Dutch totally. There's um, some of your, your listeners may know um, a really, really awesome polyglot, Luca Lamparello. Um, I'm totally butchering his, his name, the beautiful Italian pronunciation. So I apologize for that. But um, he had, I was listening to him not too long ago when he was talking about this subject Mm -hmm. And he was just basically saying that the reason why you mix up languages is because you kind of, you know, stop exposing yourself to some of them. So what I should have done instead of just blocking the Dutch out entirely, I should have kind of kept it alive a little bit in my head. You know, I should have every day, I still should have read something. I should have, you know, watched a, a show in Netflix. I should have because what I did was I was signaling to my brain that that language wasn't important anymore, basically. So the retrieval mechanism, when it went to go fetch the Dutch to speak it, was too weak. So that was a, a lesson learned. That's an <laughs> awesome story. I, I, that's an awesome story. I'm sure a lot of people will be able to relate to that. Um, for me, I've had that experience when I've tried to add a third language. And so my first instinct, it's usually, for me, it's more about, it wasn't about forgetting the language so much, although I've done that too, Italian. Um, I, I lived in Italy for two years and I used to speak with people and go to the piazza and do stuff. And uh, now I don't remember anything. Um, but but the first instinct, so when I was in middle school, going into high school, in middle school, I had studied Spanish and then I moved to Italy. And um, so the first two years of high school in Italy, and when I was there, I tried to study Italian, learn Italian, but then I would go to people to speak Italian and Spanish would come out. And after some time, my Italian got a lot stronger and I wasn't studying Spanish. So 
it, it switched. Um, but then when I moved to Russia, I, like the first things that were in my mind that when I would go to speak were like Spanish and Italian. And so it was like this instinct of foreign language was just automatically going to that first thing that I had studied. And um, and then since I lived in Russia for eight years and became relatively fluent in it, uh, when I went to Argentina and I, I'm trying to start learning Spanish, I go up to people and Russian just automatically comes out. It's just like, it, it's it's not may, maybe um, entire sentences of Russian, but you know, you just get the, like you get in the groove of speaking the language and you, you add in all those filler words and those filler words, you've taught yourself to like naturally just throw them into sentences. And so I would find myself speaking Spanish and then throwing in Russian filler words. And that made it just really confusing because some of those words have a different meaning in Spanish. I definitely have been in that situation before mixing up the languages and, and, you know, until you analyze yourself, like you kind of have to, you say it and then you think about what you just said. And you're like, that was completely, what just <laughs> happened? Like you feel embarrassed. <laughs> it's like this language salad. So yeah. did you, I'm curious. So when you were, so the, you first learned Spanish, then Italian and then Russian, right? Kind of in that order. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, in school, I studied Spanish, Italian, French, and Latin. Okay. Oh, Latin too. Okay. Yeah, it was um, a semester, but I think it was really helpful in understanding like how etymology affects the language. So, so like approaching the next language learning steps as like, okay, what's the root of this word instead of just what's the dictionary translation? Right. Right. Yeah. It gave you that, that foundation. Uh-huh. When you, then I'm thinking when you had moved from Russia to Argentina and, and you were in Argentina after that, and you were, you know, kind of trying to speak Spanish, but the Russian kind of kept coming out. Had you kind of kept your Spanish alive at all? I guess while you were living in Russia. Uh, okay. So same. I'm starting from zero again. And so I was there for only two weeks. First week I like could say hola, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, second week I was like, I need to take advantage of this. And so I started studying online when I wasn't out doing stuff and I was like trying to push it. And then since then I've kind of kept this rhythm every day of doing a little bit, but, um, but yeah, it was, it was an interesting experience to throw myself in there. Yeah. And it's funny too, going back to what you said, um, did I understand you correctly that you said that you kind of would kind of always go back, even when you were learning Russian in Russia, you would kind of always go back to Spanish because that was the first, the language that you pretty much learned first. Did you have that? Yeah. It was like just this mix, like you said, a salad of, of languages in my head. Um, but it, this usually happened to me or happens to me when it's like the very initial stage of learning the third language, Mm -hmm. um, because I don't know, to me, it feels like a, foreign language instinct it's like i've got that one foreign language that i use a lot and so the instinct is if i'm using my brain to speak in another language go there you know yeah like an automated kind of 
intuitive. The reason I asked that or um, brought that point back up again is because I also feel I have that German was the first foreign language that I learned. And I do find that that's kind of the one that's always like the dominant foreign language. It's like the one that doesn't really die, so to speak, in my in my brain. I kind of even now that I'm learning Spanish, I'll often find myself kind of sometimes just translating without really meaning to translating things from from Spanish into German or vice versa. So I don't know. Interesting. I don't know if there's something to that or not, but. I have that experience. I think how you just labeled it, the the dominant foreign mm-hmm. language for you, I think that's the best way. I think that that kind of explains it right there, right? That um that like you feel confident, you feel very uh sure of of expressing yourself in that language. And so it's easy to to regress, not regress, but revert back to that, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So cool. So, okay, let's switch up a little bit. Um, You know, I think everybody has heard that English can get you a higher salary, more jobs, better jobs, et cetera, et cetera. cetera. It's right. People have been saying it for a long time. Everybody said it. But um, when it comes to marketing a product, targeting Mm -hmm. an audience, an English speaking audience, uh, using the English language as a tool to convert interested leads into happy customers, um, which aspects of the English language are most important to focus on in your opinion, because you have a lot of experience in this area. Yeah. I mean, what I would say just generally speaking is when you're trying to convert somebody, no matter what it is, if you want to get them to sign up for a webinar, you know, if you're trying to get them to kind of move them further down that proverbial marketing funnel, get them to buy something. I'll even say if you're trying to get somebody to take action, so whatever action it may be, you really have to speak their language. You know, you have to, the words that you use, the tone that you use, whether it's more formal, whether it's more conversational, um, that's what it's going to take, you know, to get them to take that action that you want them to take. You know, you have to help them to understand the why, the what's in it for me, why should I do this, what the benefit is. So it's really just about, and I mean, that, you know, it could be whatever language you're working in, you know, whatever language they speak, um, you know, in the case of English, you just have to make sure I think more that you hit those points. So it may not be so much of a language thing. It's just more about really communicating to someone what the value is of, of taking that action that you want them to take. So that's, that's how I would kind of think about that. Awesome. Um, you know, yeah, because there are there are native speakers of a language who can do it well, and there are ones who can't. And there are non-natives who can do it well in English and ones who can't. And so, yeah, it's probably not the language so much as the, the skill of using it, right? Um, but I think, like, there's some, maybe there's some aspect of understanding the audience enough to have a mess, a marketing message that relates to them, that resonates with them. And like, I think that sometimes um, English learners who are in this space feel like they're not confident that they will be able to hit that resonant tone um, Mm -hmm. in English with the audience. What do you Mm -hmm. think? 
I absolutely agree with that. And I would say that that's the case for any language because I've been, as I've been working abroad, um, you know, we're targeting the companies that I've worked for. We've been targeting um, people who speak, you know, many different languages, you know, I've mostly worked for global companies. So we have people that we've been wanting to reach who are, you know, native speakers of not just English, but of everything. Um, many different languages. And so it was really, it always made the most sense that the person who was crafting the message, whether it was a post on social media, whether it was somebody who was creating a brochure, whether it was somebody who was writing, you know, emails for an email campaign, whoever was, was crafting that content was a native speaker of the language um, of the audience that they were trying to reach. And as I said, not just English, but, you know, for for any language, because, you know, to your point, I mean, it is really, really challenging. Um, it's quite a lofty goal to really get to a level in a, a second, third, fourth, you know, foreign language where you really know the connotation of words and what words mean and tone and, you know, idiomatic expressions and I've met very, very few people who really ever got there. I certainly am not there in any of the languages that I've learned, you know. So when I was, um, like I said, working for my company in Amsterdam, I never was writing our emails in Dutch. I was never, you know, crafting any of that Dutch messaging. I left that to the native Dutch speakers. So. Yeah. That's, yeah, I think it's really difficult. I out of thousands of marketing people that I've met, I think I've only met two that um, were non-native English speakers who they showed me their copy. And I, and I thought this is good enough to be like, like people wouldn't know that it's, that it's not. And yeah, it's really challenging to get to that level. I think uh, it is. It takes massive massive interaction with a language. It takes massive interaction with native speakers, native content, and just time too, you know, time and effort. How do you stay motivated? Because I guess today we've talked a lot about, you know, these, these funny situations that we find ourselves in learning languages. And, and honestly, like most of the situations that we've talked about today, feel embarrassing. It's kind of a, they give you a negative feeling inside, right? So how do we turn that around? Because that's a big part of language learning is making mistakes and learning from them and not letting it, you know, crush you. Um, so, so how do you stay motivated? Yeah, that's a great question. And I love this topic because in my view, so much of language learning is, is the power of the mind and having the right mindset. And I think the right mindset is really make or break when it comes to learning a language. Because as you said, I mean, it's hard. It can be embarrassing. It's intimidating. It can be scary. Um, you know, you can kind of psych yourself out. But there's that quote that I love. I think it goes something like, you know, every master was once a beginner. Basically, you know, you have to be bad at something before you can be good at it. I mean, that's the case with anything, but especially with language learning, you know, you have to mess up before you can speak a language well. That's just part of it. So mm -hmm. I think with motivation, a lot of it is just kind of putting the ego aside 
And, you know, just knowing that you're going to be bad once you begin, but the more you do it, the better you're going to be, you know, and it's about, I think too, like celebrating those small wins, you know, like the first time, maybe you have a a conversation with a customer service representative on the phone or something, or, you know, the first time you, you go to the pharmacy and you get what you need and, you know, you walk out the door with, you know, they celebrate those kind of small wins and, and that'll help you to kind of, um, you know, keep, keep show, show yourself the progress that you're making. So I think that helps. And also I would say too, to remember what your goal is, you know, that also helped, helped me to stay motivated, you know, why remembering, you know, why I'm learning this language, why I'm doing it, uh, maybe there was sometimes even like a um, specific real life situation um, that would help me to stay motivated. Like my husband, you know, company Christmas party this past year, he works for a Spanish company. I knew there'd be a lot of native Spanish speakers there. So I had that real life situation keeping me motivated, you know, all right, I gotta, I gotta, you know, do X, Y, Z so that I'm ready to have these conversations with confidence. And yeah, so those things work, work for me. I use the same thing. I think that's, I think it's such great advice for everyone who's listening or watching. Um, celebrate the wins, celebrate the wins. You know, sometimes I, I have a, you know, a sales call or, a, or, or a meeting with someone and I'm a little nervous about what I'm going to do before. And when I catch myself in that position, I know that I have to be confident going into it. And so what I, so I usually just go back and watch the replays of doing something really cool in that area. And it really reminds you that you can do that. Um, when I went to Argentina, that was my, my, like that really motivated, motivated me to continue with Spanish was, you know, I was there for a week, really couldn't do anything. I started learning. And then it was like maybe two days before I left, I was in a taxi and I had a conversation for like 20 minutes with the taxi driver, even though it was so basic and so incorrect in grammar and, and everything was probably wrong. Somehow he didn't, he knew, you know, less English words than I knew Spanish words. So it happened that way. And, uh, and I was just so excited afterwards. I was like, wow, I've been studying Spanish for about five days. And I had a conversation with a taxi driver. And uh, so that like gave me such huge motivation. Um, and I, and it's like that feeling stuck with me for a long time. That's a huge win. That's not even a small one. That's a huge one. Yeah. Being able to have an actual conversation with a native speaker. That's a, yeah, big deal. I, like, I can do it. This shows me I can do it now. So totally. But then I came back to the States and that level of Spanish, everyone's just going to be like "Mm, English. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, but for now, and I think that's the thing. It's just kind of, you also have to tell yourself, you know, this is the level that I'm at now, but it's not always going to be this way. You know, I'm going to progress. I'm going to improve provided you put the work in, you know, it's not, there's no magic solution here. But, um, you know, just, this is, these are my abilities today, but they will be better tomorrow. And every time you put yourself in one of these new situations, like having a, you know, taxi conversation, you know, you're going to get better and better the more you do it. Yeah. Practice makes perfect. Right. Although in language, there's really no perfect. 
True. That's true. That's true. So, yeah. Because we can compare our English. We can compare different native speakers English and say, if this is more correct, less correct, are we judging it based on dictionaries or standards or uh, common usage or, right? It's so subjective. It's so, and this is actually an interesting thing too, because, you know, in every language, um, native speakers make grammatical mistakes, you know, but um, sometimes the, the grammatical mistakes are just part of natural sounding language. Like you and I being native English speakers, we would probably never say, I know I wouldn't, with whom did you go to the movies yesterday? Okay, nobody, that's grammatically correct. No, you what we say is who'd you go to the movies with yesterday? So, yes. you know, it's like, okay, is that right or is it wrong? I mean, it's grammatically incorrect, but it really is just natural sounding speech. So it's really just subjective. Yeah. I had that situation two days ago. We were recording uh, a video, an English teaching video. And so I was asking the other person, you know, uh, it was, he said something about, we did this. I was like, with who? And then I was, and, but we're recording an English teaching video. So I'm thinking, I'm like, with who? Ma. <laughs> <laughs> but wait, that sounds weird. Yeah. And then I was like, no, with who? And, and so, yeah, like we know some things are correct, but then still choose not to say them because that's not what people say. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I think language learning, it's important. Like, like you're saying, like, um, you know, throughout our conversation today, we've kind of been talking about the ups and downs of language learning. And it's important for people to remember that, you know, you start learning and it feels like you've made such huge progress and there has to be some downward movement. You're going to forget some things. You're going to make some mistakes with the things you already learned. And that's part of the process that that's how people learn it right and so that can feel like a plateau it can feel like there's no improvement and uh powering through the plateaus is it's it decides whether you learn it or not because a lot of people give up at that point um and especially at the beginning of the language i feel like this happens a lot because uh i like to compare it to like just math and and say like to go from zero to one you increased by one now one to two you increased by one but now when you're trying to increase again you're going two to four four to eight well that's a bigger increment and you're trying to catch the same feeling of the one step increment but you're chasing the two or two four eight step increment and looking for the one step increment feeling um and <laughs> so those plateaus like you said before staying motivated to get through them staying motivated through mistakes um how do how do you suggest that people get over plateaus or, or get through that difficult period one thing that i think works really well is to mix it up a little bit mix up your language learning routine um take yourself out of your comfort zone because a lot of times when we've hit that plateau it could be, oftentimes is, that we've just kind of been a little too much in our routine. We're just kind of doing the same thing over and over. Maybe we're having the same kinds of conversations. Maybe we're talking to the same people about the same topics. So we're not really expanding our vocabulary. 
So I think um, switch it up a little bit and challenge yourself, put yourself in new situations. Um, you know, maybe you could find like a one-on-one tutor, which there are a lot of cost-effective solutions out there, by the way, for one-to-one um, classes, but find a one, you know, find a tutor maybe and tell them that you want to talk about a topic that maybe you're not very familiar with. So that'll force you to kind of learn some new vocabulary, learn some new expressions, kind of broaden your horizons a little bit. Um, sometimes also plateaus can happen because maybe if we're honest with ourselves, we're really not putting in as much effort as we used to, you know, maybe we're not spending as much time as we'd like to think we are. So I always, um, I actually put set calendar appointments for myself to kind of force myself to be a little more disciplined, you know, 30 minutes every day, or even 10 minutes every day, five minutes every day. Um, yeah. so yeah, daily exposure, that's important. Daily exposure. Yeah. So I think those, those two things work pretty well for me. Sometimes people speak really fast. Sometimes people talk really fast and sometimes it's difficult to, to, to understand them. And we have to ask them to repeat themselves. And this is another point of, uh, negative emotions that learners experience ourselves included when studying foreign languages and you know a lot of people are hesitant and they think that it says something about their level uh if they have to ask someone to repeat themselves and to me it sounds so ridiculous but at this point now i do agree that it shows me something about your level if you're worried about that then it shows me that your level isn't high enough to have learned that asking for someone to repeat themselves is perfectly fine um so but but even for us, like in another in another country, sometimes I would come up to even having a high level of Russian, I would speak with someone and it's just the way that they speak. It's just the way that their mouth moves and the way they say those sounds that I just can't get what they're saying. You know, um, I'm sure that's happened to you, too. Oh, all the time. And it still happens today, for sure. I mean, and it's such it's such a frustrating feeling. Um, it can it can also be kind of a shocking, surprising feeling because you could might think, okay, well, I can understand everything my teacher says in class. I can read, you know, a news article perfectly, or I can read signage at the airport or the train station with no problem. But man, then when I'm, you know, talking to my in-laws in Spain or, you know, talking to some some native speakers or trying to watch a movie in a different language. I'm totally lost. I can't follow a single word. So it can be really, really frustrating. But I think, you know, there's really no silver bullet here. I think it just takes practice. You have to practice listening, 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 and more listening. Um, you know, one tip that I think works especially well is to whatever you're watching, watch something, you know, whatever video it is, if it's a Netflix show with subtitles or some kind of talk or whatever with a transcript, anytime that you can watch somebody talk and have a transcript of the words that they're saying, so not in your native language, but in their language, in the target language that you're trying to learn, I think that can be really effective because you're seeing the words on the screen as the person is saying them. And so then you get kind of used to kind of what sounds are swallowed, um, kind of how they smash words together or connect, connect sounds or link words. 
So you just kind of start training your ear to get used to those patterns of the spoken language. So I think that's a good exercise that helps with that. Definitely. I think that's a really, really useful suggestion. Maria, thank you so much for taking the time to come and have this chat with me um, and to share your suggestions and advice with everyone. Uh, It was really useful. Thanks a lot. And tell everybody how they can find you. Yeah. Okay. Well, you guys can find me on um, YouTube and Instagram um, at English to Excel. And you're always welcome to go to my website, English to Excel.net as well. My email address is there. You can send me a contact form there too. So very available. And we'll put all the links in the description um, as always. And yeah, thanks a lot. Thank you, Chris. It was a pleasure. Thank you for tuning in to English World with Chris Americos. Now it's your turn. Don't just listen to English, speak English with us every day. Join our English Everyday Speaking Program today. See you in the next episode. Bye-bye.